From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. You know what? Who says taxes are boring? Yeah, it can be a little dry sometimes, but taxes affect every part of our public and private lives. And that means that sometimes tax disputes can get kind of weird. So with that in mind, we're bringing you today the first in what may become our annual holiday tradition. And we're talking about some of these stranger, odder, just all-out unusual tax cases of 2020. Hamza Ali, a Bloomberg tax reporter based out of London, combed through the records and picked out four of his favorite cases of the year. I spoke with him from his home in England earlier this week. Let's start off with a case out of uh, the state that I am actually in right now, Maryland, here in the U.S., um, You have a case about a gambler who went to court to prove that he is a very, very bad gambler. Can you explain this to me? This was very strange. Yes. Uh, I think I'm going to call this case, um, You Can't Beat Me, I've Already Lost, um, because (laughs) a heavy betting uh, sort of Maryland gambler uh, who failed to file um, his tax returns um, managed to beat the IRS by actually proving that he had made huge losses. Uh, the IRS believed that he had made $250,000 in uh, gambling winnings in for 2014, but it actually turned out that he had lost $350,000, um, which meant that his net losses were $151,000 for the year. Yikes. Um, one of the super interesting things, actually, to come out of this case was... Um, that uh, it had a mathematician give evidence and the mathematician said that the odds of him um, leaving 2020 with a $1 net gambling profit was um, 140 million to one. (laughs) And I guess based on, you know, his, uh, I guess his MO, it seems like that's something he would have gambled on himself um, because this guy (laughs) likes really bad odds. Um, Well, that's weird. I, I mean, you don't hear about that too often about, people sort of, you know, swallowing their pride and, you know, filing filing a legal document in, in open court saying, I'm bad at this. Yeah, he, 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 I think he, he admitted that he was a compulsive gambler, which is <laughs> quite, quite a sort of novel and interesting legal defense, which is like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not a very good gambler. No, no. <laughs> uh, all right, but let's move on to the next one. Um, it involves uh, a mail delay that, uh, you know, that happens to the best of us. But I guess in this case, uh, delay in filing a document cost a cannabis company a lot of money. What happened here? Yeah, so like, I'm going to call this one sort of uh, return of send, return to sender. Um, this is going to cost two cannabis companies, though, millions of, of dollars in extra taxes. Million? It was really that much? It was millions. millions two, um, nearly $2 million um, in total um, that it's going to cost them. Essentially, they had um, contested an IRS determination that they owed more taxes um, with one day to spare and sent it via FedEx. But it didn't arrive until two days later. Um, And the judge said um, you hadn't actually sent it via a approved list of mail carriers that they would have accepted that it was in the mail. But essentially, if the check is in the mail with these senders, it would have been okay. But um, they had um, sent it with a, a carrier that um, the, the court didn't recognize. So it didn't matter that they had attempted. When I read that story, I was sort of unsure who was to blame there. I mean, on the one mm-hmm. hand, I'd love to blame FedEx because, you know, I've had my own problems <laughs> with them. Uh, we, we don't need to go into that. 
but on the other hand, it, it, it does kind of seem like it was their lawyer's fault for not using one of these sort of approved senders and, um, you know, going with something that was not on the, the court's list, right? Yeah, I mean, like, it's difficult for the cannabis companies because they, they did what they were supposed to do. They, they contested it. Um, the issue sort of came in with um, a sort of confluence of issues that aren't great, which is that they had attempted to make the delivery, but it failed. And then the second day it failed again. And FedEx had tried to make the delivery, but it didn't work out. Um, but the courts decided that uh, the obstruction wasn't good enough. They could have come later in the day and they could have made multiple attempts to deliver. But um, as we all know, one delivery is often <laughs> the amount that they make. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the lesson there is, you know, don't wait until the last minute. Um, let's move on to uh, a story that I think you you really enjoyed. This is probably your favorite out of all of them. We're talking about juice here, um, ju- and specifically juice cleanses. This is, you know, for those who don't know, I guess there's some people in the medical community or maybe the, you know, quasi-medical community who think that drinking nothing but juice is a good way to cleanse your body of toxins. Um, and there's a company that makes these sort of juice cleanses, I guess. But the question is, is their juice a food or is it a medicine? What's going on there? So this is a sort of really weird case, um, because if you ask most people, um, is a juice cleanse um, medicinal? Um, they'll say no. Uh, and then they would assume that the authorities would be on the side of people saying it isn't a medicine. Yeah, it's, we're just talking about like, ju- we're just talking about juice here. It's just juice. Yeah. But uh, the UK tax office... Um, decided um, that this isn't actually a juice, but it is close to a food or medical treatment, which meant that um, it wouldn't be eligible um, for a certain type of tax treatment that was beneficial to the juice company. Uh, The juice company obviously um, rejected (laughs) this, uh, and they went to court with the tax office uh, arguing that a juice cleanse is actually close to a beverage. So, okay, this is this is like hurting my brain here. So let me just make sure I understand it. So <laughs> a juice cleanse, I don't think it's a medicine. I think it's just juice. But I think the companies that make these cleanses probably would say that it is medicinal. However, they are going to court and arguing that, no, our juice cleanse is not medicine because we want to be taxed at a lower rate we want to be taxed at the food rate, not the medicine rate. Correct. That's correct. Um, and the the case involved all kinds of sort of in- interesting outcomes. Like uh, the the tax inspector had to go to the sort of store in question and um, ask for juice and taste it to figure out if it was. T- <laughs> uh, and I think he described it as it it was palatable. So a ring a ringing endorsement. <laughs> exactly. And, and and then immediately decided that it was a medicine. <laughs> oh, boy. I think, like, there's, there's actually, like, a, a sort of deeper philosophical tax question at play as well, um, which is essentially that um, if something is designed to be a food replacement, um, they, 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 they want to treat that as, a, as, a dif- as different to juices that you can buy, like an orange juice on, on, on the shelves. Um, and that was the sort of deeper philosophical argument. All right. Well, let's let's wrap it up here and talk about one that you wrote about yourself. Um, this involves a, a Coca-Cola bottler in Europe, 
and it weighs into a debate that I didn't know existed until um, I'm looking at the clock here a half an hour ago. <laughs> um, the debate over what is a van and what is a car. What's going on here? I'm not sure I still understand. It is. Um, there are different tax treatments for commercial vehicles like vans versus business estate cars that you sort of get as a perk of your job. And you get sort of better tax treatment for commercial vehicles. There's like a, a line between what is actually a car and what's actually a van. And Coca-Cola has basically bought these um, combi vans, which are almost, which are cars, but almost like vans. And then they um, updated them and did stuff to them to make them more van-like to say, actually, this is a van. More van-like, okay. Yeah, ex exactly. So like, um, the the outcome of this whole um, sort of effort to sort of tax plan using sort of a mechanic is that um, the they say this is now a van, but the tax office is like, no, this is definitely... And they go into lots of detail about what is actually a van, what isn't actually a van. It's this massive philosophical debate. Well, wait a minute. So you were... Are you saying that they had mechanics like retrofitting these vans for the sole reason that they just didn't want to pay the car tax? Like, there was no other well, reason? Well, like, it, the problem with vans is that they're very large. You can't park them anywhere. You can't, like, they could still be using them as commercial vans and get the benefit of having a smaller vehicle. But the problem is that they took a, what is normally commercially sold as, like, a people carrier-style vehicle and then converted into a van. And that and that's where the sort of debate comes in. And like like I said, like they go into loads of detail. And like there's one the, there's one bit in the in the case where um, a lawyer for Coca Cola is describing the um, carpeted interior of the van, and he's saying it's um, it's comfortable but not luxurious. Right. Like yeah. That's like. It, it's this this is just blowing my mind like this you know whether or not a vehicle is comfortable or luxurious can give a coca-cola a, a different yeah exactly bill. and like they did stuff like they removed windows like from the back so they're like vans don't have windows at the back so we'll remove the windows at the back and then it's a van and like there are there are these like sort of um there's actual legal precedents where they fight over what's the definition of a van and this is just adding to the the sort of body of casework that's out there, what is legally a van. Great. Well, I, I mean, this is, I'm sure there's going to be some judge whose legacy is like, I determine what is a van and what is a car. And that's, you know. <laughs> Next time a van passes by, you could, you could be like, I know what a van is. <laughs> I'm not sure I do. Uh, but I am sure that I really enjoyed uh, talking with you today, Hamza. This was really fun. Uh, and you know what? Let's do this again next year. How's that sound? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I'll be back with some weirdness for next year. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Hamza. Hi, guys. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about what you just heard or anything else, get in touch with us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. Talking Tax is produced by myself, David Schultz. Kathy Larson is our editor. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. This is Adam Allington, and I'm here to announce a new season of Uncommon Law, a narrative podcast series from Bloomberg Law. Black Law! 
My co-host and I will speak with African-American attorneys and hear their perspectives on how big law is, or in some cases isn't, adapting to become more diverse and inclusive. It's not fair, but what can be better than being on the front lines of helping to make this country better for all of us? If not us, who? If not now, when? Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.